All right. Well, good morning, everybody. That was such an epic video, right? How do you follow that? And how do you follow those amazing kids? Can we just give it up for Miss Casey Bocage, who led the choir, and Abby Nichols. You did a great job with the dance and the choreography. That was so great. It, uh, just something about Christmas and kids. It was, it was so great seeing. And your kid, they were the best one up there. They were the best. It was awesome. Well, welcome to Calvary. We're so glad that you're here with us today as we recapture the wonder of Christmas. That's our prayer for you this Christmas season. Now, if you were like me as a kid, uh, perhaps you um, were captured by Christmas and the Christmas season and all of that. You were just in awe, and it felt like, honestly, that December would drag on because we were anticipating uh, Christmas Day and the Christmas break. But, but now, of course, December just feels like it goes by in a blink of an eye. Uh, but I can remember as a, as a kid being captured by it. And we are, we are praying that you would recapture the wonder of Christmas this month. And you know, really the only one who can help us do that is Jesus. He's the one who came and lived a sinless life, and Christmas is all about Jesus. And, uh, you know, I talked about how Christmas time seems to go really fast when, uh, as an adult, but as a kid, really slow. But I think of how life uh, sometimes comes at us with such a, a fast pace, and we get caught up in relationships and career and job and, and money or the pursuit of all of that stuff. And we need to be reminded to slow down and recapture the wonder. Let Jesus recapture our attention once again. Because all that other stuff, it leaves us wanting and empty anyways, doesn't it? None of that stuff really matters like Jesus. He's the only one that can help us recapture the wonder. And our guiding verse for this series in the month of December is Isaiah 9 Verse 6, we're going to take an in-depth look at some of the names and characteristics of Jesus. 700 years before Jesus came, a prophet named Isaiah prophesied about the coming Messiah and gave us some names, some attributes and characteristics of the coming king. Now, when he prophesied about Jesus, Israel and Judah, they were steeped in rebellion. They had rejected God turned their back on him. In fact, Israel had messed up so badly that God left them to their own devices and he allowed the, the enemy from the north, Assyria, to come and capture them and wreak havoc over them. Yet, even in the midst of the suffering and oppression and dreariness and darkness, God wasn't going to walk away from his covenant with his people. He wasn't going to forget about the people of Israel, nor is he going to forget about the rest of humanity either and leave us without hope and help. So that's, that's the context for Isaiah chapter 9. And he writes this. We'll read verse 6 together. It says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. When it seemed that the darkness would permanently rule humanity, the Father was going to send a Savior, a light, 
a child of hope, a child of promise. And this was going to be no ordinary child. This was going to be an extraordinary one. One who would grow up as an adult, live a sinless life, pay the penalty, pay the price for our sins. And there was many used, uh, many words used to describe him, but this month we're looking at his titles as the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, last week, Wonderful Counselor. And today we're going to take an in-depth look at his title, his characteristic of mighty God. You know, there is no other God as strong and mighty as Jesus Christ. That's a good place to say amen. Isaiah was saying that the child to be born was God. Not light God, not uh, half God, not, not little God, but fully God. God in all his wisdom and power and might. God in all of his infinite goodness and grace and mercy. The God who has no beginning and will have no end. The God who existed from eternity past and will exist in eternity future. That God, the God that created the universe with billions of galaxies, each containing billions of stars, and who even now sustains all of creation by his power. Jesus Christ is that God the one true God. Here's what Paul said about him in Colossians chapter one, beginning verse 15. The son, talking Jesus Christ, the son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus, Paul is saying, Jesus is just as much as God is that that the Father is God. Now, most of Christianity, we recognize that the one true God uh, is actually a triune being, right? God the Father, God the Son, And God the Holy Spirit. But in Isaiah's day, when he wrote that, back in Isaiah chapter 9, that was before the advent of Jesus. The Jews didn't fully uh, understand or comprehend this concept. Even uh, even during Jesus' earthly ministry, they didn't fully comprehend it. They had a hard time understanding, why would Jesus claim to be God? Why would he claim to be deity, even uh, with the abundance of scripture and prophecies about a coming son uh, son and Messiah? Many couldn't see it. They couldn't grasp that this Jesus who's claiming to be God is actually God. In fact, they not only couldn't accept it, they blamed him and accused him of blasphemy. Look at what they said in John 10, chapter 30, uh, uh, verse 30, I talking Jesus here, and the Father are one. Okay, so he's making the claim that he is deity, he is God. Again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We are not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy. Because you are a mere man, And you claim to be God. They couldn't fully grasp it. They couldn't see that Jesus was indeed the mighty God that Isaiah had foretold. 
And as the son, just like the father, he possesses all authority, all power, all strength, all might. He is God. Now to show you just how mighty Jesus is, I want us to look at one day in the life of Jesus. If you have your Bibles, you can go to Matthew 4. We're going to, or I'm sorry, Mark. We're going to be in Mark 4 and Mark 5 today. We're going to look at a particular day in the life of Jesus where he left no doubt that he was the mighty God. Mark chapter 4 begins uh, with Jesus uh, sharing four parables. Now, if you're new to the Bible or to the church thing, parables are, are just stories that illustrate a biblical truth. And Jesus was a master at sharing parables. He knew that, that sharing those parables would connect his listeners to his message and these eternal spiritual truths. And most people, they, they viewed him. Yeah, I'll grant you, you are a good moral teacher. But Jesus was much more than just a good teacher He was more than a good preacher. He was, he is the mighty God. And there's one particular day that we are going to look at it, Mark chapter 4 and 5, that was an incredible day because he showed just how powerful and how mighty he is. So after sharing four parables in Mark 4, Jesus would perform four miracles, four parables, then four miracles. And the writer Mark, he indicates that these four miracles were performed on the same day, the same 24-hour period, performing miracles back to back to back to back. Now, the first of these miracles happened on the Sea of Galilee. Jesus, I'm sure, is physically drained and exhausted. He's been sharing and preaching and teaching and ministering to people. He's just shared four parables. And so he gathers his disciples. They get in a boat to cross the Sea of Galilee. Well, as they're in the boat, out of nowhere, a storm hits. Strong winds, big waves are are crashing in. Things on the boat were actually getting quite dicey and quite dangerous. And so, of course, the disciples were afraid. This was affecting Jesus, not at all, by the way. He was not affected. He is so calm and cool that he was asleep. While the disciples are are fretting and worrying about the storm, Jesus is literally taking a nap. So we're going to pick it up, Mark chapter 4. Let's go down to verse 39. He, talking about Jesus, he got up. He rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, peace, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Well, they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. So, He he speaks to the winds, he speaks to the storm, he speaks to the waves that were out of control, which of course led to the disciples' fear and anxiety being out of control as well. And Jesus, like a boss, says, quiet, be still. And some of us can't get our kids to be quiet and be still. Jesus just calms the storm like that. And in that one moment, Jesus showed that he has power over the natural realm. 
you're taking notes, you can write that down. Jesus has power over the natural realm. The mighty God is so powerful that nature has to submit to his authority. Now, we just read in Colossians that everything was created through him and by him and for him. So certainly, if he created it, he possesses the power to rule and reign over it. He has power over nature, over the natural realm. Now, right after that miracle, the, the storm has calmed, the, the winds, the waves have died down, and they find themselves at, at the shore now. And as Jesus and his disciples get out of the boat, they are met here. You can turn to chapter 5 of Mark. We'll be there in just a moment. They are met with a man who has been hanging out in the hills amongst the tombs because he had an unclean spirit. This man was demon-possessed. In fact, Mark tells us that he was possessed by a legion of demons. He screamed out. He would cut himself with rocks. This man was a demon-possessed maniac. He couldn't be controlled. They would put him in chains and, and stalks and, and try to chain him down, but the, the demons inside of him were so strong and powerful that they would just snap the chains right off. So he was banished to live in isolation out in the hills, all alone, all by himself. And we pick up the story in verse 7 of Mark chapter 5. It says this, and crying out with a loud voice, he said, talking about the demon-possessed man, what have you two to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you, that just means I urge you, I request of you, I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Now, first off, isn't it interesting to note that the man, the, the demons in the man, could identify Jesus as the mighty God. He's the first, in fact, to identify him as, as mighty God. Look, they call him son of the most high God is how they identified Jesus. And so they pleaded with the son of the most high God, please don't torment us. They knew that they were in for it. So they begged Jesus, don't send us into the abyss. In fact, there's a herd of pigs right over there. Would you, if you don't mind, Jesus, just send us into the herd of pigs. And Jesus said, okay, I'll, I'll let you do that. And so he, he cast the demons into this herd of pigs. As they entered uh, the pigs, they went crazy and ran down the hill into the lake where they would drown. And now this once demon-possessed man finds himself back in his right mind. He's been liberated. He's been set free. And he's so pumped up about it, he's so excited about it that he asks Jesus, hey, can I go with you? Can I hang out with you and the disciples? I want to do life with you, Jesus. And he says, well, you can do life with me, but you, you can't travel with me. You need to stay here. You need to stay local because there are people who need to hear the testimony of a God who came and delivered you. And so he asked the man, why don't you just stay local, share with your friends and your family and your neighbors and testify to the goodness of God. He has shown you love and grace and mercy. Jesus did the miraculous for this man. And when he did it, you know what he showed? He showed that he has power over the spiritual realm. He calmed the storm, proving that he has power over the natural realm. Then he cast out a legion of demons, proving that he has power over the spiritual realm as well. 
What that tells us today is that Jesus can handle any spiritual situation that you are faced with today. Any spiritual battle or oppression or circumstance that you might be facing today, he is a mighty God and he is mightier than even the forces of hell. What a mighty God we serve. And by the way, people weren't rejoicing with this man. I mean, they've, they've probably seen him banished for years. They weren't rejoicing. Man, I'm so glad that, that our friend has been set free. They were more sad about the pigs that died than they were glad about the man who had been set free. And so they, and they invited Jesus to go ahead and leave. Say, hey, Jesus, you and your fathers, if you don't mind, just go ahead and get on out of here. We don't like what you've done to the pigs. And Jesus obliged. He said, okay. You don't want me around, we'll just head out. So, so Jesus gets in the boat with his disciples and they go across the Sea of Galilee once again. Quick side note, how cool is it, by the way, that, that Jesus came to the other side of the lake just to deliver one man from demon possession? That's how much he loves him. That's how much he wanted to see him free from his bondage, from the legion of demons. That's how far he will go for you to meet you at your point of need. He has power over the spiritual realm, and he will go even across the sea to meet your need. Now, when, as he and his disciples arrive on the other side of the lake once again, I'm sure word is spreading like wildfire. Hey, you got to come and check out Jesus. He's a really good storyteller, and he's performing these incredible miracles. And as he arrives on the other side of the sea, he's met with a lot of people. The crowd is swelling at this point. People are pressing in on him. They want to get near him. They want to touch him. They want to hear from him. They want to be touched by him. There is a crowd of people awaiting for him. And one of these people, his name is Jairus. Jairus is a Jewish synagogue leader. Verse 22 of Mark chapter 5 tells us that, that Jairus, he is a desperate person, a desperate man, because he has a daughter who is sick and dying. He is so desperate that he falls before the feet of Jesus, is what verse 22 tells us. Now, isn't it interesting that we've seen the wind and the waves fall at the feet of Jesus? We've seen this demon-possessed man and the legion of demons fall at the feet of Jesus. Now we see this man in his desperation falling at the feet of Jesus, begging him, Master, Jesus, come, you've got to help me. My daughter is dying. And he makes this request with some risk attached to it. Remember, he's a Jewish synagogue leader. The Jews... They didn't like, the, the, the religious leaders didn't like Jesus. So, so he risked rebuke from asking Jesus. He had pressure, I'm sure, to denounce Jesus. But nevertheless, he trusts in Jesus. And Jesus responds to him and says, okay, let's go do it. Let's go to your house. Let's see what we can do for your daughter. So Jesus takes his disciples, and I'm sure the, a crowd of people are with him and Jairus, uh, Jairus and uh, on the way to Jairus' house, Jesus actually performs another miracle, even before he gets there. There's a woman who the Bible describes as having an issue of blood. She had been in this condition for 12 years. 
Now, this, this condition w- was not a good one. It, it kept her in a perpetual place of uncleanness. In fact, the religious law said that she could not participate in synagogue activities. She was probably banished from society and doing life with her family and her friends. She could not interact with people like you and I do for, for fear of those people also being proclaimed as unclean. She was an outcast in every sense of the word. And she risked it all to get close to Jesus. The Bible says in Mark 5, she she thought to herself, if I can just get close enough to touch Jesus, if I can just get close enough to touch the edge, the hem of his garment, the, the corner of his clothes, if I can just get that close, I know that Jesus will heal me. And you know what? She was right. She touched Jesus' clothes, and instantly she was made whole. That illness, that sickness, that disease that plagued her for 12 years was in an instant gone. Talk about faith. In fact, Jesus, as he felt power go out of him, he said, who touched me? I felt power go out of me. I wonder who touched me. It's like he could feel her faith as it connected with him. And the disciples around, like, Jesus, you've got to be kidding, man. There are a ton of people here. There is a crowd of people, and you, you're asking, who touched you? I'm sure thousands of people have just touched you. It's like, no, no, I felt something different this time. And so I'm sure he, he, he peeked up and was scanning the crowd looking for that woman, and he locked eyes with her. And look at what he said to her in, in Mark Chapter 5, verse 34, he says, daughter, a loving term of endearment, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Now remember, this is the third miracle now. I mean, these are happening back to back to back. And in this third miracle, Jesus proves that he has the power over the physical realm. He's calmed a storm. He has cast out a legion of demons, and now he has healed a woman who had an issue of blood that had this issue for over 12 years, proving that he has power over the physical realm. What a mighty God. I can only imagine how thrilled this woman was. Even on the way to go somewhere else, to be with somebody else, Jesus stopped. He allowed himself to be interrupted so he could minister healing to this woman. What a kind, loving Jesus we serve. And while they are interacting, while they were rejoicing, hey, I, I get to go free, I'm so excited. Uh, and while they're having this really nice moment post-healing, Jairus' friends come from his house and say, hey, Jairus, I got some bad news for you. Happy for this woman and all, but, but your daughter, she's gone. We, we thought we could get Jesus there in time to heal her of her sickness, but I'm so sorry to, to say that, that your daughter has died. I can only imagine how Jairus felt. Oh, man, I'm so disappointed. And they said, you, you just, need, just let Jesus go. Let him get on about his calendar, his schedule for the day because the daughter is gone. Well, Jesus picks up on this conversation. And look at what he says at verse 36. Overhearing what they said, Jesus told them, don't be afraid, just believe. 
He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jairus, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him after he put them all out, saying, hey, get out of here. If you don't have faith, you need to get out of here. After he put them all out of the house, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kom, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. Jesus did something astounding here. He proved here in this moment that he has the power over the eternal realm. Jesus has power over life and death. Okay, Jesus is on fire at this point right now, isn't he? He's calmed the storm. He's cast out a legion of demons. He has healed a woman with the issue of blood. And now he has raised the dead. Can you imagine what it would have been like to be with Jesus on this day? This is just one day in the life of Jesus. Being able to walk around him day after day, I, I can only imagine what it would have been like to experience just one day in the life of Jesus. In this one day that we just looked at in Mark 4 and 5, he proved that he is who Isaiah prophesied he would be. He is the mighty God. What a mighty God we serve. All of this in one day. Now, quickly, we're going we're gonna to personalize uh, the mighty God, and we are going to look at one verse in the book of Zephaniah. We have looked at one day in the life of Jesus. Now we are going to look at one verse. If you've got your Bible still open, you can go to Zephaniah. That is the fourth to last book in the Old Testament. Just go to Malachi and take a left a few pages. Zephaniah. Chapter 3, verse 17, it says this, the Lord your God is in your midst. The mighty one. He will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. This one verse, it's so power-packed, and it gives us some assurance and encouragement today. And I want to look at, real quick, and we'll be done, at five things that Zephaniah tells us about the mighty God. The first thing, as you're taking notes, is the mighty God, he is with you. He is with you. Zephaniah says, the Lord your God is in the midst. That last song that the kids just sang, they talked about Emmanuel. They even told us what Emmanuel means. Do you know what it means? God with us. God is with you. The mighty God, Jesus Christ, is with you. Now, you might be saying, well, I don't feel like he's with me sometimes. Let me just tell you, that's not because he moved. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. The mighty God, Jesus Christ, is always with you. You can count on him. Number two, Zephaniah says that he is mighty to save. He's mighty to save. Notice that he says the mighty one will save. 
No matter the circumstance, no matter the storm, no matter the battle that you are in, guess what? Jesus is mighty to save. And I wonder how many of us don't fully trust him in certain areas of our life. Like Jesus, you know, I'm not saying that you doubt his authority and his power, but in some areas, you just are like, hey, Jesus, you can sit this one out. I've got it. And we don't fully trust him in certain areas of our life. I just want to encourage you to, to fully surrender to him. He is a mighty God. He is strong and mighty to save. I kind of picture him like a mighty warrior who's ready to fight the battle for you. In fact, you don't even have to play, uh, pray for victory. You can pray from a place of victory. He's already given you the victory. He is a mighty God. He is strong and he is mighty to save. In fact, he is power, powerful enough to save us from our sin. He's powerful enough to save us from bondage, from oppression, from depression, from trouble, from trials, from whatever it is that you are facing. He is strong. He is mighty to save. He is with you. He is mighty to save. Thirdly, Zephaniah says, he delights in you. Did you notice that? He says, he will rejoice over you with gladness. The mighty God delights in you. He doesn't just love you. He likes you. Maybe some of your parents are, are like me and uh, you tell all of your kids, if you have multiple kids, hey, did you know son? Did you know daughter? You're my favorite. And it's true. They are all my favorite. Did you know that you are God's favorite? When you go to the steakhouse for lunch later today and you're sitting around the table with your family, you, you can say that to your family. Hey, don't talk bad about me. I'm God's favorite. He loves you. He likes you. He delights in you. You are his favorite. He delights in you. I like delighting in my kids. Okay, one of my favorite things to do when they were younger was to just sit back when they were at a playground and I would just sit back on the bench and watch them. I just took delight in watching them do life and have fun. As they've gotten older, I take delight watching them uh, do other things, uh, play the piano or sing or whatever it might be. Or my favorite, I really take delight in them when they fall asleep. <laughs> Come on now. That's when I really feel good about them. But he takes delight in you. Now, that's not to say that there are going to be some times where we mess up, okay? He doesn't delight in everything that we say and everything that we do. There are going to be times that we mess up, but when we mess up, it doesn't mean that he's all of a sudden forgotten how to love you. He delights in you. Number four, Zephaniah says that he calms you. This is a good one. He calms you. Look at that, that uh, phrase that I highlighted. He will quiet you with his love. I wonder when was the last time you slowed down enough to let the love of God quiet you? And pace of life, I get it. It's so much. And there's so many things raging in our life that, that causes us stress that literally takes a physical toll on our bodies. Our blood pressure rises. Our heartbeat gets out of rhythm a little bit. When was the last time you slowed down and let God speak peace into your heart? He wants to calm you. 
The same God that, that calmed a, a literal storm on the Sea of Galilee wants to calm your storm. You know, when my kids are, are uh, uh, struggling with something hard in life and they come to me in tears or maybe they had a bad dream, a nightmare or something, you know, one of the best things that we can do for them is just hug them. There's nothing quite like the, the warm embrace of a parent, of mom or dad. I know everything's gonna be all right because I'm in the arms of my mom and the arms of dad. And it's the same for you. When the storm is raging, the love of God, the love of the mighty God wants to calm you, wants to quiet your spirit. And then fifthly, Zephaniah says, he rejoices over you. Now, number three, he delights in you, but number five is really similar. It's kind of like he's reiterating what he just said. He rejoices over you with gladness and he will rejoice over you with singing. This is like the cherry on top. The Lord rejoices over his children with gladness and with singing. The mighty God is strong, he is powerful, and he loves you. Last scripture, Jeremiah 32, 17. Ah, Lord God. Man, that phrase is just power-packed right there. Ah, I'm, I'm sure Jeremiah, he just couldn't even contain, couldn't find the words to describe how amazing he is. Ah, Lord God. It is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Therefore, nothing is too hard for you. Come on, that's good news today, somebody. The mighty God, he has so much power that he created heaven and earth. He spoke it into existence. When we dwell on how, when we think about how incredibly powerful and mighty that God is that created the heavens and the earth, Compared to our issue, how great or small it might be, we are reminded that nothing is too difficult for him. Nothing is too hard for him. What a mighty God we serve. Amen, everybody? Amen. Come on, let's thank him today. What a mighty God we serve. Y'all remember that song? We don't have to sing it, Pastor Sean. Angels bow before him. Heaven and earth adore him. What a mighty God we serve. What a mighty God we serve. Hey, I'm just going to invite you to take a moment, bow your heads, close your eyes. Would you invite the mighty God into your situation right now? I don't know what you need. You might be sick. You might be brokenhearted. Maybe you're lonely. Maybe you're feeling oppressed or depressed. Maybe there's a loved one who is far from God. I just want to invite you to allow the mighty God to come and minister to you. Remind yourself that he is strong, he is powerful, he is mighty. There is nothing that is too hard for him. So just take a moment, do business with God. Thank you, Lord. You know, Christmas time, the holidays can often magnify what's going on in our life. 
I think about those that are having trouble. Maybe they're sick or they're, they're lonely. The holidays seem to only magnify their loneliness or their sickness. When things are good, it's really good at Christmas time. But when things are bad, man, they are really bad at Christmas time. I'm talking to some people today that have gone through some hard times this year. Some of you are going to face a Christmas that you didn't think you'd be facing today because there's someone missing from your Christmas dinner table that was there last week or last year. Some of you, it looks different because you've lost your job or you've lost a source of income. Some of you, this Christmas is looking different because you're sick in body. You have a loved one who is yet to surrender to the Lord. They are far from God. I just want to remind us today at what a mighty God we serve. He is bigger than any of that stuff that we just mentioned. Last week was kind of a tough week for the Fergusons. I know you've had tough weeks along the way. It was a tough week. At some point, I think it was like a Tuesday, Monday or Tuesday, I just had to, I had to gather the family and say, hey, look, we've been magnifying this problem, this circumstance too long. We have got to magnify God more than we magnify our problems. So right now, I just want you to take a moment. Can you just magnify God for just a little bit? He is greater than your problem. He is bigger than your circumstance. He is stronger than your sickness, than your disease, than your loneliness, than your depression. Lord, we just magnify you right now. Lord, we, we, it's good to acknowledge those problems. We want to do that. You want us to, to bring our needs before you. But we also want to acknowledge that you are so much bigger. You are so much mightier than anything that we might be facing today. We thank you, Jesus. And he's so mighty that he can forgive you of your sin. If you haven't yet asked Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of your life, we want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. If you want to say yes to Jesus, I want to know this Emmanuel, God with us. I want him to live in my heart, change my life. If that's you in this place, all you have to do is recognize you're a sinner, acknowledge that Jesus is the only way to salvation, and then follow him, and you'll be saved. Just say a simple prayer in your heart, something like this that says, Dear Jesus, I know I've messed up. I've lived life on my own. I've been living in, in sin and unrighteousness and wickedness. And today, Lord, I repent of my sin. Would you forgive me of my sin? Thank you for paying the penalty for my sin when you died on the cross. Lord, right now I, I surrender to you. I will follow you from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Now you can open your eyes. In fact, we can stand together. As you're standing, I want to invite the prayer team members to come down front. If you just made Jesus the Lord of your life or you reconnected with him, rededicated your life, let us know on that connection card. There's a box where you can check, I gave my heart to Jesus. If you're watching us online, you can go to our website and you can uh, go to the online connection card. We want to help you on your next steps, on your spiritual journey. We want to put a Bible in your hand. We want to pray for you. But again, this is just the first step. Tomorrow, you've got to follow Jesus again. Okay, this isn't just a one-time thing. This is a life-changing thing.
All right, we're going to follow him from this day forward. Amen, everybody? Now, before we go, let's just one more time with Pastor Sean and the team. Let's lift our praise to the miracle worker, to the mighty God, the way maker. Come on, let's sing this out now. He's a way maker.